Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 11th, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, speaking of Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, Now we're going to look at three parables in Luke 15. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost silver, and the parable of the lost son. As we read through this, I want to help you to understand what Jesus is trying to say to these people. Jesus is helping them to understand that to be lost really means something. And the concept of lostness is so abstract. How do you describe being lost? How do you describe being a wanderer? How do you describe the sense of distance and time and space between you and someone you love? Have you ever lost anyone? Have you ever sensed lostness? Have you ever had someone that you dearly love go astray? Someone that you've prayed for, someone that you care about, someone that you would not only die for, but you would love so much that you would kill for them. You would want to protect them and help them. This is what Jesus is talking about from the standpoint of someone who has lost something and someone who is lost. So the more difficult and abstract the concept that we are trying to relay to someone else and communicate to someone else, the more numerous and vivid have to be the illustrations that describe that abstract concept to someone else. This is why, remember in Hebrews chapter 11, that we have this abstract concept of faith. Now, faith is hard to get a hold of. Because we need to concretize it. We need to make it solid. This is why the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 describes faith. Now, faith is the what? The evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. Substance, evidence. But then he has to give what that substance is and what the evidence is. And so you can know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, evidence and substance. But you still, after you read that definition, you usually don't know any more or someone doesn't know any more than what they did before you read it. The writer of the book of Hebrews then illustrates it. He opens up the windows of heaven and into our minds and helps us to understand by illustration, example, what it is. He concretizes it. 
And so you have the illustration of Abel. You have the illustration of Noah. You have the illustrations of Abraham and on and on. All of these are to help you to understand that this is what faith is, not a definition, but an illustration of it. This is why all good teaching and all good preaching has to convey these abstract spiritual concepts in ways that the audience and the one you're trying to teach can understand. And that's done in a variety of ways through illustrations. Uh, And then we have to apply that. So you have explanation. That's part of preaching and teaching explaining what someone means, what someone says, what someone did. You explain a text. You exegete a text. You define a text. You define words. But then you have to illustrate those in ways that shed light on whatever that is. And then you apply it. Those are the three principles of basic teaching. But... When we come to these concepts, they're hard to get across. And so many times Jesus would tell stories. Why? We remember stories. Now, I know I'm getting into a lot of teaching methods, but this is part of what podcasting is all about, to help you to understand not just what these are, but learn how to pass them on to others. So Jesus began to speak to them in a parabole. Why? Because they were saying he's eating with sinners, like that's something bad. Now, Jesus wasn't hanging out with them in the sense of condoning what they were doing. No, but how is it that people are to be influenced with us if they are never confronted with us and never in communication with us and never in relationship with us? And so Jesus was called the friend of sinners, and he did not say, no, don't call me that. He embraced that because in order to reach lost people, you have to relate to them in some way or another. And so Jesus was trying to explain what it's like to be on the other side of the coin, to be not just the one that has the broken heart for someone who is lost, but what it's like to be lost and what it's like to come back after being found. And so he uses the illustration of a lost sheep. He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who have no need of repentance. That is, those who are already home, those that are already in the fold. Now, remember a parabole. Para means beside of. Balo, the root of the word bole, means to cast or to throw. Casting as throwing a ball or casting a, like a javelin, throwing a spear, any of that. That's, that's the base word. So parabole means to cast something alongside something else. In this case, a parable is a an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is an earthly story that has a heavenly spiritual meaning to it. And so he's talking about sheep, but what he's really doing is explaining what it's like to be lost and the joy over someone who's found and how we need to share that joy with others. 
he comes to verse 8, and he goes yet deeper. You see, uh, everyone there was not a shepherd. The shepherd was a lowly position. David was the youngest of his brothers, so he was out in the fields watching over the sheep. He was the shepherd of the family. Why? Because he was the youngest, not because he was the most talented. The other boys had done it. They had served their time, and now he was out there doing this. Very important. And so not everybody could identify with that. Yes, they could identify that a sheep had been found and how you rejoice at that because that's a value, that's money, that has a lot of significance. And to those shepherds that were out there, those who had been shepherds, that meant a lot, but it didn't reach the whole audience. And so remember, Jesus' goal here is to help people understand, especially the Pharisees. And so then he said, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, don't get caught up in the every minute detail to where every little thing in a parable has to mean something. That's not how a parable is interpreted. A parable has one primary meaning, sometimes a secondary meaning. But Jesus here is talking primarily about what it means to be lost and be found. And all of the ancillary things, the secondary and tertiary things, uh, that's another whole ball of wax altogether. We will fry those fish in the days ahead. But he's trying to illustrate lostness. He's trying to illustrate what it means to love that which is lost. And in this case, the whole conversation came about because he was eating with lost people. He was eating with sinners and uh, the joy that he had in finding them. And so he talks about first a shepherd and a sheep and a lost sheep and finding it and the joy from that. Now he's going to appeal to every woman that's out there and every dad that's out there. That's quite a bit of the crowd. And the reason was, this is not just 10 pieces of silver and she lost one. And you're wondering why, because she lost one piece of silver, was it worth that much? This was not just any silver. This referred to a headdress. You see, from the time that a girl is born, a father knows one day he's going to give a dowry to her. And part of that dowry was a headdress. Sometimes that was it because it was a valuable piece and he would start working on a headdress that she would be married in. And that was usually something of silver and gold of great value. And she'd wear it over her head as she veiled her face. And when that veil was taken off, the husband would see the great value in that wife, not just in the woman, but what she's bringing with her on her head. And uh, she would bow her head to him and that would become a gift to him for taking her and providing for her and protecting her for the rest of her days because a loyalty has changed from the father being the protector and the provider to now the husband. And there's a formal ceremony that constitutes that changing of the guard, the changing of the loyalty. And so this was part of her dowry. Those were set into silver and gold settings. And what happened is she had lost part of her dowry. And so she called in all of her friends and said, help me. I lost a coin out of my headdress. And this was a big deal because it was a part of her identity of who she was. And and so when she found it, they all rejoiced. And let me tell you, every woman there, every Jewish woman, they were all Jewish. They understood. Every father there gave a sigh of relief. Oh, I'm glad she found that. Why? Because that was a gift from the father to to her. And so this is why this is so important. 
And so some would identify with the lost sheep and the shepherd concepts. More would identify with the concept of the father and the daughter and and the gifts and the passing on and the dowry. But now when we come to verse 11, every person out there had a son, a brother, someone who was close to them, that this touched their heart. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. In other words, I wish you were dead. I wish you would go ahead and give me what I'm going to get when you die. And so he was literally wishing for his father to be dead and So the father divided to them his livelihood. Now his son, his oldest son, was going to get two-thirds of it, but he gave, because that was a double portion, he just had two sons. But his son was going to get a third of it, and that was still a lot of wealth for a young man. You see, I've never, never, ever in my years, I have never seen too little wealth ruin anyone. Personally, I can say that. But I've seen too much wealth and too much too quickly ruin many, 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 because it's not a proven commodity. Too much too quickly is damaging. And many parents need to understand this. So this man gave the younger son his allotment, and the younger son gathered all together and journeyed into a far country. Now, all of this is descriptive, and it talks about how he wasted his possessions with riotous living with ungodly living, with prodigal living. That's why he's called the prodigal son. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want. By the way, this is always the result of running away from the father. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So he was out outside of the people of God. He was not with Jews. He was with Gentiles who were raising swine, uh, which were off limits. But he had gone so far away from Kashrut and so far away from his raising and so far away from what he knew that he was right, that he was out there with the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods, the carob pods that he was feeding to the swine. But no one gave him anything. You see, gone, gone were his funds that brought his friends in. Gone was his transportation. Gone was his credit cards. Gone was everything. And now he was bankrupt and he was at the bottom. He was living on the street. Then he came to himself. This is repentance. What does it mean he came to himself? That means he came into his right mind. He began to think correctly. He began to say to himself, I'm starving to death. My father's hired servants. My dad helps people he doesn't even like. Look what I could help. I will arise, he says, and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Boy, that doesn't sound like that proud boy that said, I want you dead, dad. I just want what you've got, what you've worked for all your life. I want it now. No, now what he needed was his father. And he knew that in his father's house, there was nourishment. There was love. There was acceptance. And so he came to himself. He said, what am I doing here? My dad, I I could live off of what my dad's servants lived, those that work for him. I would gladly work for him. I'm not even worthy to be his son. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why was that father seeing him a great way off? The Bible says he saw him a great way off. I'll tell you why. Because he was looking for him. He had been praying for him. He had been looking every day for that boy to come up over the horizon. 
There's no telling how many times at the supper table he had been pushing his food back and forth from one side of the plate to the other, and his wife would say, Honey, what's wrong? You're not eating tonight. You need to eat something. And he'd look up with tears in his eyes, no doubt, at his wife and say, Well, if you got to know, honey, I was thinking about our boy, our youngest boy. He's out there somewhere, and I've been praying for him to come home, and I believe God's going to send him home one day. No doubt, he was looking for that boy. And then he saw him walking. Listen, I can pick my boys out. If there's 50 men walking together, I can pick my boys out by the way they walk by the way they hold themselves, by the way they carry themselves, by the way they sway their arms, by the way their head is tilted, by the way, you know why? Because it's like me. It's like watching myself walk. It's like seeing my own pace and cadence. He had been looking for this boy. He had been praying for this boy, and he saw him coming. Every dad in that audience, every sister in that audience, every mom in that audience, every, every brother in that audience could identify with that. But there were some there who had been lost, but they had been found. They'd come to themselves and they'd come home. And when he came home, the scripture says that he ran to his father. His father had compassion on him and they ran and And they kissed one another. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father stopped him at that point. That's enough, son. I see you've changed. And he said, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive, was lost and found. And they began to be merry. And then the rest of the parable is about the Pharisees. It's about the older son, the one that ought to know better, the one that ought to be rejoicing, but he's not. Why? Because his dad never done anything that way for him. He had never had a party for him. And his dad ultimately consoled him and said, son, everything I've got here, you're going to get it all. This boy, I'm just, I'm just glad he's come home and I want you to rejoice too. But he couldn't because with all that he had, He was jealous. He was envious because he wanted his dad's affection, all of it, and he didn't want to share it with anyone. That's the way the Pharisees were. Now, that's all the time we have, and I've gone too long. But I want to say to you, if you've got a son or a daughter that's away from the Lord, if you've got a mom or a dad that's away from the Lord, a brother or sister that's away from the Lord, a friend, keep praying, keep looking. God can change the heart. As long as there's breath, there's hope. There's expectancy. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep praying. God sees. God cares. God loves you. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.